just wanted to drop a thought in there just to kind of set a foundation that will go somewhere. <clears throat> Excuse me. God is not dealing with us present past. And what I mean by that is God does, does not um, encounter us and have relationship with us and refer back to the past in our present encounter with him. How many of you have ever had a conversation with somebody and you're talking to them, you're trying to work through some disagreements and things that you have, and they bring up the past in the middle of the present, and what does it generally do? It blows the whole problem up. And then you hear words like, you always do this, or you never do that, and you're bringing up this, you're just bringing the old dead stuff from the past into the present. God does not do that to us. And I really want us to hear this and, and just to set, a, set us on a course as we move into the message for today. When God talks to us in our present, he brings the future with him instead of the past with him. How many have ever sat down with a, a counselor or an advisor and they said, you have so much potential for this thing. Has anyone ever sat down with someone like that and they told you you had potential? Maybe you, got, you started working at a new company and they're like, man, we've been watching you for, for a little while. You've got potential. Like you, you're really a go-getter and you've got this, this, and this. They're, they're dealing with your present, but they're prophesying over you or about your future. And, and it makes you feel good when people talk like that. Like Instead of, man, you're not good enough today and you, you slacked off and you missed it. They're saying, hey, I see this inside of you. It's not here yet because I see it off in the distant in the future, but I'm telling you right now today that I see it in you, and I'm going to treat you today like you should be treated in the future. That's how God deals with us. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, remember that thing you did? Remember that? Remember, you always do this, Jared, and you never do that, Jared. He doesn't do that to us. He comes to us, and he prophesies over us about our future He's, he's already been there, right? The Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning. He worked backwards in time. So he goes into our future, and then when he encounters us in the present, he begins to tell us who we're becoming in the future. And then he releases his word over us and prophesies over us and into us the things that we need to guarantee that we get to that place. The Bible calls the word of God as the seed it's his seed, and he sows his seed into us, and it produces the fruit that he wants it to produce. So if you are in, uh, if you experience God, and you're in an encounter with God, and you have a relationship with him, and the past gets brought up, God is not bringing that up toward you. That is our soul saying, man, we feel guilty about who we've been. And that's when we say, hey, God, I just want you to know that I've seen who I've been and I repent. You didn't even bring it up, but my guilty soul brought it up. I want to just forgive me. And then we move forward because then what God does is he speaks to who we're becoming in the future. The emerging person that's inside of us. God declares a thing over us. He speaks it into us. Um, the Bible says many times um, bef there's a new thing that is springing up and I will announce it to you before it happens. That's how God deals with us. And so I just want to just break off the guilt and the shame that comes from our past that we think God's bringing up in the here and now. And I want to just refocus us and, and say, no, if you hear those things, it's, it's our soul and it's guilt and shame that's causing those things to be brought up. It doesn't, it doesn't mean we ignore them. But we do need to deal with those things because we've carried those things in our soul. And we need to say, God, I repent of those things. But God's not bringing it up. One more thing I want to add to this. 
is if we over time push away conviction, and we know what conviction is. Like sometimes we say words in church and we're like, we expect everyone to know what we're talking about. Con- conviction is what Holy Spirit does. Uh, conviction says, hey, this is the wise, hukmah, this is the wise way to live. And what we just did wasn't wise. And Holy Spirit says, mm, you missed the mark. It makes us feel like, man, I just missed it. That's conviction. How many of you ever felt that before? Like you knew you shouldn't have done it, you shouldn't have said it, you shouldn't have gone there, you shouldn't have felt it, you just let it go on too long, and you felt bad about it. That, that feeling can lead to repentance. But that's, that's, that's not why it comes. It comes because he wants to bring us into alignment with him. But what happens and what can happen is over time, if I stop listening to the conviction, it will turn into shame and guilt. The best way to remove guilt and shame from our life is the moment we feel convicted, we feel like we missed the mark, we immediately go to the secret place, the place where it's us and God, and we deal with it there. Because if we keep pushing him away and pushing him away, it will become guilt and shame. And guilt and shame will change our identity. It will change who we are. It will change how we behave. And so, you hear that? So, Father, we just ask that you would teach us this, that you're a a present future God. You speak to the emerging person inside of us. And so I ask that you would tune us in to Holy Spirit and ask that you would teach us to be sons and daughters. God, I pray that today there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do something, just kind of changing speeds a little bit. Um, But I want to talk about, uh, so Friday, um, they had a youth convention for for the North Texas, the district we belong to. And um, I got to go and speak um, to the breakout sessions. And so um, they asked me to speak on finding spiritual gifts and identity and those kinds of things. And so I thought, you know what, that, that is something I haven't spoken to our church about in ages. And as I started talking about it, like the word of it came alive inside of me about identity. And I feel it's really important that I talk about it today. And so let me ask this question. How many in this room know that you have gifts? Would you raise your hand? If you, you know you have things you're good at. Let's say it that way. You're good at things, right? How many know that you have spiritual gifts? Things you're good at, and they're spiritually given to you. Um, the Bible lists those things in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 13, 14, and, and Ephesians and other places in the Bible. It explains what these spiritual gifts are. I do want to say that one isn't better than the other, like spiritual gifts or talents that you just have that are natural, like to earn money or whatever it is. God has given us these gifts. Now, let me ask one more question, and we'll get started. How many of you know your identity, who you really are. Like if I sat down or if someone sat down and said, hey, I want you to define who you are, your identity, the things that make you, you, your characteristics, the qualities that you have, I want you to tell me who you are. How many of us would really have a good grasp on who we really are? And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about that. Because if we don't, if we don't know our identity then other things can imprint upon us because we don't know. Well, maybe that is it, so we do this. Well, maybe that's it, so we do that. Or well, I kind of like this, and we go back and forth because we're not anchored to who we are. So are you ready? All right. There will be a couple of scriptures that we'll read. will be Hebrews 11, and will also be in Matthew 3. 
Those will be two places that we're going. Everybody okay? Yeah? Let me say this. I don't want to waste your time. I promise you. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want... I don't need to preach. It's really weird to hear a preacher say that. I, I don't need to do this. Like th- This honestly doesn't do anything for me. What I do want is for us to all grow in Christ. That's what matters to me. And so if this time doesn't do that, then I don't want to do this. But I really want to see Christ formed in you and Christ formed in me. I really want to grow and mature. I, we don't need to hear other sermons and other teachings. And we need to just take it and live it. It was funny in class, uh, we were talking about people that don't have Bibles around the world. I've heard of people that literally have one page of the Bible. That's all they can get in the country they live in. And they memorize that one page. It's life to them. And those people are so pure and holy, and they have one page of the Bible. I don't even know what story's on that page. But that becomes, they live it. I bet they live it inside and out. And I hope that we would begin to do that, that we begin to live what we know about God out in our lives and become transformed. Now, we live in a a, a country, America, the Western world, is uh, what we call a meritocracy. Anyone ever heard that word before? Meritocracy. It's M-E-R-I-T-ocracy. And what a meritocracy is, is if you work harder... If you get smarter, if you perform really well, you can get more. You can get promotions at your work. You can make more money. If you really want to, you can hustle. Get your side hustle on, you can make more money, right? You work hard in America. In most cases, you can improve where you're at because we live in a meritocracy. Tony Romo stood there at the podium and earned my undying love and support. He completes me. I just love Tony Romo. I'm sorry. (laughs) And when he stood at that podium this week and said, you know what? We live in a meritocracy. And that man, Dak Prescott, deserves to have the job as the quarterback of the Cowboys. That, I told my boys, now that's a man. Is Tony Romo probably a better quarterback? Probably, but we don't know. It doesn't matter. He knows the team's better under Dak, so Dak gets the job, which he should. I like Dak. He's a cool dude. Good guy. I'm like, kids, if you want to follow, follow people like him, all right? But the point is, if you play really well, you get more playing time. That's one, the way I coach our soccer team. I'm like, hey, I have to play every one of you. It's in the rules or your parents will scream at me. <laughs> I have to play you. I, I really don't want to play you or you, but I have to. <laughs> but here's what I tell every one of them. How much time you get on the field is determined by you. I will put you out there, but you can stay out there the whole game if you earn it. How many feel that way in your home? Like, hey, yeah, you can have that thing if you do your chores or if you take care of responsibilities around the house. We're in a meritocracy. You perform, you earn. But the kingdom is not like that at all. How many believe the kingdom's not like that at all? Christianity, relationship with God is not a meritocracy. I can't perform well and get more from God. I can't be the best singer and so he puts me in Hillsong's worship team because I'm the best. It's not, you don't earn your way up in the kingdom. We're like, well, it kind of feels like that. It's not supposed to. 
It's not supposed to. In the kingdom, it's upside down. So why don't you finish these statements with me because the kingdom is upside down. So in the kingdom, if you want to be greatest, what do you have to be first? I'm going to say least. If you want to live in the kingdom, what do you have to do? Die. If you want to receive in the kingdom, what do you have to do? In the kingdom, you're supposed to bless those who... Whoa, none of the kingdom is an inverted kingdom. It's not like our world system. And what happens is because we live in a meritocracy, that system of the world system, the, the, the prevailing culture begins to creep into our relationship with God. And we begin to, without even knowing it sometimes, begin to perform for God. And then we bow to him after we perform like, yeah, where's my reward for performing now? Hebrews eleven six, you can look there. It says that those that believe must believe that God is, and finish it, and he is the rewarder. Would you say that with me? God is the rewarder. Now, what's the rest of that? Of those who diligently seek him. Does it say God is the rewarder for those who diligently perform for him? Produce fruit for him? Make him happy, entertain him. We're not entertaining God. We're not like his little court jester and we come and perform for him for his honor and his pleasure. That's not what God is. He's not this dance, make me happy. Come on, change the mood. That's not God. But he is the rewarder. So if we live in a meritocracy where we perform well and we earn more, but we're in the kingdom because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So we're in the kingdom. The kingdom is not a meritocracy, but God is the rewarder. Some of us start scratching our head like, okay, God's the rewarder, but we're not in a meritocracy. How does that work? How can God reward us in a kingdom that's not like the world kingdom where you earn rewards? And here's the answer to that. God bless you. In the kingdom, our rewards are based on faith and obedience. Period. Faith and obedience. When we stand before God, because every one of us will. Did you know that? The Bible says this, that every one of us will stand before God by ourselves. No attorney, no wife, no husband, no one near us. We will stand before God. No parents. Young people, no parents. will be. You will stand and give an account for your life before God. That's not... That's not a bad thing, because hopefully we've all said yes to him, and, and we are into heaven, right? Hello? <clears throat> but God rewards us not because of what we did, not because of how we performed, not because of how well we played the guitar and sang or danced or, or did in school, none of that. He rewards us because we believe that he's the son of God and we have faith in him. And when we stand before God on that day and we give an account for our lives, we will stand there in the merit, in the reward that Jesus Christ earned at the cross. That's how the kingdom is different than the world. You see, in the world, we have to run and we have to win to earn. But in the kingdom, Jesus ran and Jesus won and we get to earn by believing he's the son of God. Like, there's no way we could have earned this. We couldn't deserve this. We couldn't fight for this. We couldn't make this happen. So God sent Jesus, the greatest champion ever, 
to do it for us so that we could earn and deserve what Jesus deserved. How many think that's good news? So what, what is this even, why does this matter? Because God is the rewarder and he rewards faith and obedience. But we aren't performing for him. We don't desire gifts and spiritual gifts so that we can earn his favor. All right, y'all ready? Good? Okay. In a meritocracy, favor or grace, the word favor actually means grace. And what does grace mean? That's, one, that's the second one. Do that one in a second. What's, what have we learned our whole life? Grace is the un, undeserved or unmerited favor. In the world, there's no such thing as this kind of grace. Like we earn favor by our merit. But in the kingdom, it's unmerited favor. It is undeserved. It is grace, right? And so in the world system, when we perform well or we bring benefit to other people, we get rewarded. We get promoted. Right? Everybody good? But in the kingdom, the favor comes from our relationship with God. We were favored by God when we were formed in the secret place. Now, Psalm 139 talks all about this. It says, before any days of our life came into being, he knew us and he wrote about it in his book. So every one of us, God knew us and formed us before the foundations of the world. And he wrote our love story in the secret place. And then he saw what he wanted us to be. And then he fashioned us according to what he saw. He made us look like what he saw in his imagination. And what he said over everyone, and you have to get this, okay? He looked at you in the secret place and he says, you're my favorite. You are my favorite. Out of everything in creation, you are my favorite. Well, everyone say that with me. I'm God's favorite. Now, what that means is before I was even born, before I ever asked Jesus to forgive me and come into my heart, before any of that stuff happened, God formed me before the worlds were even created, and he already called me his favorite one. And what's the first part of the word favorite? Favor. So the favor of the Lord comes from the secret place where God looks at us and says, you're my favorite, and I love you, and I am pleased with you. Now, how many remember what happened when Jesus in Matthew 3, if you're there, Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized in Matthew 3, verse 17. This is what happens. God spoke from heaven, and he said this, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Now let's ask a question. Let's, let's, let's create a tally board up here. How many people had Jesus raised from the dead? Zero. How many people had Jesus healed? Zero. How many, how many miracles? How many demons did Jesus cast out? Had Jesus gone to the cross and become the Messiah and Savior of the world yet? No. Yet his father looked ahead in time and he spoke and he announced to everyone there, heaven open. Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and sat up on his shoulder. And then the voice of God spoke, this is my son. He's my favorite. I'm well pleased with him. And the Bible says that, that he, he was well pleased with him, which means the favor of God rested upon him. So from that place of identity, 
as God's favorite one, Jesus began to perform his public ministry from that point forward after he went to the wilderness and was tested. Then he came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus often got really tough questions from people. Like people sat around for days and weeks trying to think of the hardest question to trump Jesus because they wanted to catch him in a lie. They wanted to catch him saying something that wasn't exactly true according to their customs and laws. And often Jesus wouldn't even answer the question that they asked. How many of you have ever seen that in the Bible you're reading? And Jesus would answer a question. It didn't look like it had anything to do with what they asked. But Jesus knew their heart, right? And so he spoke to the heart. But what I have discovered through reading the Gospels over and over again is that Jesus would always defend one accusation. Always. What was that? If anyone tried to say he wasn't God's son, he would defend himself. He would defend his connection, his identity with God. He wouldn't defend his miracle performing. He wouldn't defend casting out demons. He wouldn't defend all of these other things. But if you tried to say you're not God's son, God is not your father, he would say to them, no, I am in the father and the father's in me. We're one. I'm his favorite. Why? Because Jesus knew that that secret place, that place of his favorite, where he was made the favorite of God in the secret place, was, the, was where all of his life source came from. Because God was already pleased with him. God was already happy with him. And what tends to happen for some reason in church culture is because we're in a meritocracy in a culture that it is, I think a meritocracy for, for government is a good thing. I think you should get more playing time if, you're, if you work harder in practice than others. I hate participation trophies. I think it's ridiculous. No. You're not eighth place and you get a big old trophy. I'm just sorry. You just don't. First place gets a trophy. I don't even think second place or third place should get a trophy. You lost. That's how I feel. <laughs> sorry for you. Second place, the first loser, right? <laughs> I have that tattooed somewhere on me, I'm sure. I, I, I love him, but it doesn't work in the kingdom. In the kingdom, everyone who runs this race and finishes, it doesn't matter how fast you finish. It doesn't matter what place you finish. It doesn't matter how, how many rewards you carry with you. If you just finish this race, you get the prize. It is a participation trophy in the kingdom. It's opposite of our world system. If you just participate in relationship with God, if you just stay connected to him and stay running this race, you win the crown. You win the crown of life. If you endure until the end, you win. So it would be really easy for people to say, well, then, then what's the use of, of spiritual gifts? What's the use of, of doing things for God? If he's already accepted me and I'm, I'm already going to win the prize if I just finish the race, then what are they for? And this is what I feel like the Lord showed me. Your gifts and your talents, the things that God gave you, he imagined those things in the secret place. And the favorite things that there are about you, the favorite things he loves about you, he accessorized you with gifts that would magnify and amplify what he loves about you. I was telling Kyle this. So God, I'm going to tell him again. God loves to hear what you think, Kyle. He just loves to. He loves to hear your thoughts. And so guess what God did for Kyle? He gave him the gift of writing songs. 
so that every time we sing a song and every time Kyle sings a song to God about what he's learned about God, God says, I'm hearing the echoes of my favorite things about Kyle. He's singing to me. Kyle's not singing and performing to get the favor from God. It's from his place as a son that he's saying, God, I love you. And that's his favorite thing. So other people, the gifts and the talents that you have, God gave those things to you because they magnify the favorite things he loves about you. He loves it. He loves it when you play an instrument, when you sing, when you write, when you do accounting work, when you organize people at your business, when you're administrative. He loves that you love order. How many people are administrative in the room? Like you like to organize and that's part of your job at work. Anyone? Maybe it's through accounting or numbers. When you do that, God's like, man, that's one of my favorite things about them. See, God's a God of order. And when he sees us using our gifts to bring order, he's like, oh, it's one of my favorite things about you. You can take the chaos of, Tilly, you can take the chaos of these accounting numbers and make it make sense. That's so beautiful. He loves it about us. People that have the gift of hospitality, you make people feel special. God looks down, he's like, oh, you're so good at that. It's my favorite thing about you. You make people feel part of something. You make people feel special, and it's his favorite thing about you. So our gifts and our talents weren't given to us to be the dancing monkey performing for God, just goofing off. He gave us our gifts and our talents because they are an outward expression to the world of the favorite thing he sees in us. And our anointing comes from our gifts. How many know what the word anointing is? Anointing means to to smear. And I like, this is my definition of it. Anointing is the smear of God's favor on our lives. So when you have a gift and you begin to operate in that gift with excellence and it brings honor and glory back to the Father, it is the anointing of God, the smear of God's favor upon your gift that brings other people into an encounter with God because of your gift. Let me say it like this. If you can prophesy, you have the gift of prophecy, which Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Would you all say that with me? Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then he says this, especially that you prophesy. Everyone say especially prophecy. Because when you prophesy, you're speaking for God directly to the heart of men, to women. And so when you have this gift of prophecy, what you're doing when you have the smear of God's favor upon your prophetic voice and you begin to say to someone, I use this example with the young people. Someone brought up being bullied and someone brought up just having rough relationships in school. And I said, okay, look, here's what you do. You need to ask God to show you his favorite thing about that person who's bullying you. And you need to ask God, what do you like about Because I can't find one thing I like about him. I can find a lot that I hate. I can't find one thing I like about him. Go in and ask God. And when God shows you that favorite thing, if God gives you courage, go tell your bully. Hey, I was talking to God the other day, and he said that this is his favorite thing about you. Now, guess what happens? You may get punched. They may not understand. Or you may just pray into this word. But what will happen is when the smear of God's favor comes upon you because you're using a gift of prophecy, you're bringing that bully into an encounter where they can now hear God's voice where they may not have heard him before. And the anointing upon the gift of your life, the favor of your life, now brings them into an encounter and gives them an opportunity to hear God say, you're my favorite one. 
you're not a bully. You're just scared. You're my favorite one. Don't be afraid. And so that's what our gifts do. I want to move away from um, the performance thing that's in church. I mean, we just, we just grew up like this, right? In church, there's just this, the best drummer played the drums. The best singer sang. The, the person with the greatest personality was the greeter at the door. And, and I'm not saying some of those things aren't important or that, that it doesn't work out that way. But that's not how we should measure things. Has God anointed you for that thing? Has God gifted, it's the smear of his favor upon your life. So that, yeah, you may not have the best talents in that thing, but when you do it, it brings people into an encounter. Like we've said this for years when we were a youth band and we had all these different people playing in and out. We were not good, right, Mark? We were just not good. Like we thought we were good. We were just really loud and we thought we were having fun and good. We just really weren't like excellent, talented musicians. I'm telling the truth, all of us. We were learning. But every time we played somewhere, God would show up. Like every single time. I mean, we would sit and practice. And we couldn't even finish practice. We would be weeping and crying, singing worship to the Lord. And it was hor- It was not great. The guitars were probably out of tune most of the time, all this stuff. And yet it didn't matter because the smear of God's favor was on our life. And what was, the, what was his favor? We loved the Lord and our heart was turned towards him. We were a mess even in our lives. We didn't know anything about how to follow the Lord or serve him. But when we sang to him and we told him we loved him and we turned our heart towards him, something in the room would shift. What is that? It's the anointing. It's the smear of God's favor that was upon our life that brought people into an encounter with God. Whereas if they were judging by our abilities and talents, they never would have experienced God. But our gifts that God places upon us and the anointing that takes over those gifts, it accelerates us past talent, past ability, past whether you deserve to be in the room with that person or not. And it gives you a voice and it shifts the atmosphere. That's what gifts are important for. And it's really important that every one of us begin to understand our gifts and step into them and be operating in them. Because when you operate in your gift, when you, when you magnify and amplify out loud what God finds the most favorite thing about you, I get to taste God because of your expression. See, we were, um, we were at a, a family gathering a couple Friday nights ago at my dad's church. And they have a, um, where's that church from? It's, they were speaking French, but Congo. And they were having a prayer meeting in the other room. And they were praying in French. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I had no idea what they were saying. I have no, but I went, when I went into the restaurant, I was walking down the hall, I just stopped. And I just listened to this man pray in French. And I was like, oh, he knows God. I can just feel it. Like, he didn't know I was even there. He wasn't doing this for anyone. He was praying out and crying out to God. And yet, because of his expression, his love for God, his hunger for God, I felt his presence. I felt it, and I got to experience God, and I don't even know what he was saying. And that's what God does with our gifts. He, he causes people to connect to him when they never would have been able to otherwise. Is this making sense? So I want to challenge I want to shake you as the church. Find out what your gifts are. Find out what your spiritual gifts are. Find out who you are in Christ, what the favorite things that God has about you. What are those things? I will say this, generally, they're the things that annoyed people growing up. 
Oh, you're just so loud. You're always so loud and you just talk too much and blah, blah, blah. That's probably one of the favorite things God has about you. We just are learning to smooth the edges off of it, right? Let me use another example. Josiah is the best storyteller. Am I telling the truth? Kyle and Mandy, y'all hear it more than most. But he has this memory that I always tell him, I am amazed by your memory. I just, please stick around me and help me stay young and remember. Because he can remember details. He'll read, he reads books like this thick, like a book a week, book every 10 days. And then he wants another one. I'm like, I'm so proud of him. And then he's telling me the whole book. I'm like, Josiah, I really don't want to hear all the, just give me the headlines. But when he tells stories, he gives every little detail. And he's awesome storyteller. And guess what? There have been times... Josiah, is this true? Well, we've made him feel like we didn't want to listen to his detailed story. <laughs> he never gets to finish his stories. Why? Because we're like, hey, son, I can, only, I can only listen so long. I can't retain all the information. I'm trying really hard. But then something hit us on that same night. And I was like, Josiah, I need you to hear this as your dad. You're a great storyteller. And that's like one of the things God loves about Josiah. So now what's our job? Let's help Josiah hone his skill of telling stories so that people can have an encounter with God through the gift that he has. I'm saying, for me, you know, it was, it was competitiveness. That was annoying to people. Me wanting to win was very annoying to people. Some people in the room know me. They're like, I'm not even going to shake my head, but yes. Like, I just love to win, and I absolutely hate to lose. I still am that way. Coaching, I'm not fun when we're losing. I'm just not fun on the sideline. I, clipboards don't make it through the game. I just can't handle losing. And as a growing up, people didn't like that about me. But you know what? Instead of throwing that thing away, maybe God made me that way. And it's one of his favorite things about me. that I love to compete. And I'm going to fight. And I'm not going to quit. And I'm going to succeed. What, what are some things maybe I want you to just think back over your life? As a kid, that maybe people say, hey, would you just tone that down? Would you just knock it off? You're just too, no you ask too many questions, Nicole. Nicole, that's one of God's favorite things about you. You're curious. You want to know. It's a gift that God's given you. Now, what's the anointing that can come on that gift and cause other people to step into something they couldn't have before? That's what I'm saying. Find out what your spiritual gifts are. Uh, let me, there's a place. Let's see here. There's a place called giftstest.com. Some of you have taken, how many have ever, just raise your hand, if you've ever taken a spiritual gifts test, right? We've taken some before, and like celibacy was one of them. I'm like, nah, that's not really a gift. I don't want that gift. Someone else can have that gift, right? There's, there's some that are like that that don't make a whole lot of sense. But then this one is really, it's called giftstest.com. And what will happen is you take the test. It will literally take you just a few moments. And then you'll get back this cool little page that has five bubbles, different colors. And the larger the bubble, the, the stronger that inclination is for you to have that gift. And then it explains what they are and, and talks biblically how you can act those things out. I encourage you to go take that test sometime today. Don't wait. Maybe you can do it at the end of service right there on your smartphone. But just take the gifts test and find out what they are. And let me, let me go through some instructions real quick and we'll close it out. Knowing who you are in Christ is more important than knowing your gifts. All right? It's just more important. See, if... Let me say this. If we get our identity from, from our gifts and from performing, then we will have a performance-based identity. 
And this is what happens to a lot of us. When we're no longer performing, we don't know who we are. You know how many athletes, like, I'm shocked when I see athletes retire. You see them two or three years later, and they, I'm like, how were they ever a professional athlete? Have you ever seen one like that? They're overweight, or they lost all their muscle mass. Like, when Moose Johnson, remember how big he was when he played football? Now you watch him do the football games, I'm like, dude, he's like just a small-looking guy. Like, he doesn't even look big anymore. And then some guys, I'm like, man, they ate somebody else, right? They just blew up. They, they lost their identity. They're not an athlete. They're not a pro athlete anymore. So they, they lost who they were. They gave up. They quit. And, and so when we're not performing, sometimes we do that as Christians. We don't know what to do. And so don't do that. Get your identity in the secret place. All right, let's close with this. So finding your spiritual gifts. Before you take this test, I encourage you to go into your prayer closet to secret place. Maybe it's on a swing set in your backyard. Maybe it's playing basketball. Maybe it's driving down the road. I don't know. Find a place where it's just you and God and ask him who you are. Say, God, who am I? What's your favorite things about me? Please tell me. I need to know. If you hear him say anything about performance, like, oh, you sing really good, God's not telling you that. If you're asking God about identity and you hear, well, you're really good at, at playing an instrument or singing, that's not, he's, it's, it's, it's us saying that. He wants to speak to who we are. Like when he said over Jesus, this is my beloved son. He's the best at making water into wine. He's the best at healing. He didn't say any of that. He says, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. So when you're in the secret place, don't listen for performance things. Look for identity. I'm not saying he won't say those things to you. I know it, you won't believe this when I tell you, but God often tells me, Jared, you're an athlete. Jared, you're an athlete. Okay, thanks, God. I, I can't even run anymore, but thanks. <laughs> so God will tell you those things, but not when you're asking about identity. If you feel guilt or shame when you talk to him about identity, that's not God bringing up your past. Remember, he's present future, not present to the past. That's our soul saying, I need to be cleansed. I'm bringing baggage into this encounter. Let's just cleanse that. Forgive me for that. Wash it away, God. And then don't leave that place until you hear who God says you are. Then take your test. When you're done with the test, take the results back to the secret place, back to your prayer closet, back to your swing set, wherever it is, and say, God, is this true about me? Are these really your favorite things about me? Or did I miss something? Did I, did I answer in my own mind and miss it? And God will tell us, all right? After you do that, you need to bring your results to people you care about. Let your wife know. Let your husband know. Let your mom, your dad know. Let somebody know. Let me know. Pastor know. So that we can help you develop those things, right? <clears throat> the reason it's important that you don't just know those gifts on your own and not do anything with them is because in the kingdom, gifts are meant to operate within families, on a cultural level. What did he say in Joel chapter 2 and then Acts chapter 2? He said your sons and daughters will prophesy. Because the gifts of God, the spiritual giftings of God are meant for us to corporately benefit from each other. Right? It's true. All right. Finally, practice your gifts. If it's storytelling, Joe, practice writing stories. Write your own book, son. Write your own kids' series. You got the mind for it, right? Find out what your limits are. I'm telling you to go make some mistakes. If you see prophecy as one of them, 
Just start prophesying over people. Just practice. Start giving words. Okay, God, I'm going to give someone a word every day this week. And then do it. Uh, Oh, that's scary. Oh, you can do it. You got it. That's one of the favorite things that God has about you. You have the prophetic gift, right? Be stretched. Be uncomfortable. Right? When you succeed and when there's good fruit from it, cheer. Be happy. Celebrate success. If there's failure and they look at you like, man, you're crazy. That is not a word for me. Okay, I tried. No big deal. I'll try again tomorrow and I'll get better at this. We're not performing for identity. We're trying to become excellent at our gift. We're honing our gift. It's the, what's the word? It's the wisdom of God. Let me just say that. It's the wisdom of God to, to get excellent at something. All right? Is that good, good for you? Now, if you're interested in the notes, I did print this up. So if you want copies, they're right here on the front, just of those things. Um, just so you take, there's more notes in there that I didn't go over as far as biblically and how this works out. But I just really want you to take these gifts, find out who you are, Because more than ever before, the world needs to hear who you are. They need to see God's favor on your life, right? Amen. Okay, can we bow our head and close our eyes, and we'll close close the service, but I want to do this first. Is there anyone here that this whole service, you just said, man, I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel next to Him, and I just want to make that right. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and, and put it right back down? Thank you. Anyone else? I just want to make things right. I don't want to go another second. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Oh, this is good. Oh, you're his favorite. Y'all are his favorite. Oh, wait just one more second. Anyone else? Okay. Can we all just pray um, a prayer if we want to be closer to God? I'll pray here, but I'd like for you just to pray where you're at. You know, I really believe that um, it's not the sinner's prayer that we call it in church that makes us right with God. It's when we turn our heart towards the Lord. He said, if you turn to me, I will heal your land. I will forgive your sins. So, Father, we turn to you right now. We've turned our heart toward you. You spoke and we turned and you have our attention. Just like when when Mandy walks in the room for me and she speaks, I turn toward her. I acknowledge that she's there. I give her attention. And God, we do that to you. You've spoken to us today. You've pulled on us. You've pulled us close. And we hear you and we turn. We hear you, Dad. We hear you, God. We ask that you would help us to not run from you. Help us to break down the walls that that we put up to, to insulate ourselves from pain or hurt or disappointment. And God, we just, we surrender and we say, yes, we trust you. Father, we ask that you would forgive our sin. We repent of everything we've done that was against wisdom, that was against your perfect will for our lives, and we we call an end to those things. And now we turn to you, and we will do things different in their place. We change our mind about those things. We repent. Father, I ask that, that every one of us would hear your voice more clearly than ever before. You said, my sheep know my voice, and they won't follow anything else. I declare that over everyone in this room and on the podcast. We do hear your voice, from the kids to the oldest. We hear your voice, God. We won't follow anyone else. We love you, God. 
And God, I ask right now that you would stir up inside of everyone the favorite thing. I ask that you would bring to the surface the gold that you've put inside of them. I pull on it right now. I literally prophetically, with a prophetic act, I grab it and I pull it to the surface, God. The favorite things that you have about everyone in this room, we pull it to the surface, God. We draw it to the surface. I ask that everyone here would discover their gifts. That they would discover what you love most about them. The favor that you've smeared upon their life and anointed them with. It's beautiful, God. 